Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we look ahead to Wednesday's expansion draft with hustler Andrew Patterson. And we'll also talk to Jared Spire of Triathlon Manitoba, a viewing party for Tyler Mislachuk as he goes for gold in Tokyo on Sunday. It's all coming up on the podcast. We're less than 24 hours away from the start of the expansion draft. Fans in 30 markets wondering who from their team will be snatched up and teleported to the Pacific Coast or subsequently traded after the draft. It is going to be very interesting to follow all the developments. And here with me to prognosticate and ponder what might happen, Andrew Patterson. You know him as Hustler. He's the host of Winnipeg Sports Daily. Hustler, you excited about this fun time in the NHL offseason? I am, Christian. I'm uh, I'm really intrigued uh, about this. And, you know, certainly, I mean, focusing from a Jets perspective, I think it's fascinating, both the decision that was made on who was protected and really the two key players from last year's team that seemingly are available for the club and whether there's a deal that will be made. And it's even more fascinating in a lot of ways because of what happened with Vegas. I mean, I, I still laugh about the, the, the predictions and the comments that people made about the Vegas Golden Knights after the expansion draft. And then, of course, what happened afterwards. So, you know, not only is it going to be who is selected by Ron Francis and the Kraken, but what happens after that? How many of these players actually stay with Seattle and are part of that team when they drop the puck in the fall? And how many of them end up in other spots and again, as far as the Winnipeg Jets go, can there be trades made in relation to players exposed in the expansion draft or acquired by the Kraken that might help a team like Winnipeg solve a couple of the holes on their squad, which, of course, when we're dealing with the Jets, usually focuses in around the blue line. There were so many deals made, side deals, uh, pre-deals, post-deals after the draft four years ago that very few of us really knew was coming because it was the first expansion draft in 18, 19 years, and it was just so different than the ones we saw for Minnesota and Columbus back in the day. The rules have changed so much, and I think I'm imagining that GMs are going to be a little bit wiser this year because I think there might be a perception that some people got fleeced in the Vegas draft. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we've been talking about, you know, Smith and Marcia. So, I mean, that was the top line of a team that went to the cup final in their first year. They both came from the same team. Um, you know, of course, you know, Alec Tuck and Eric Halla were huge parts of that first year, you know, with Vegas. And they both came from Minnesota, so they didn't take Matt Dumba. There's definitely going to be a greater sense of um, fear, I think, from GMs as to, you know, uh, what is the price I'm paying to keep this guy on my squad? Because, you know, for most of them, and listen, I'm sure there were some deals that worked out well that we don't talk about, but the ones that just look so bad three and four years later are, I think, what's on the mind of GMs. So, uh, yeah, I'm with you. I think there'll probably be less deals um, as it pertains to just the direct protection of a particular player. I think they will make some, but where the deals I think will be more um, significant is after these players are selected. And, you know, you look at a guy like Giordano, I mean, heck Dylan DeMello here in Winnipeg. I mean, there will be demand for those players and um, you know, Giordano has got one year left. So, I mean, whether you're picking him up and playing him for a while and trading with the deadline, I mean, that's one way of doing it. Um, or, I mean, there'll be players like, I mean, a Dylan DeMello type player that a team like Winnipeg would want to get and, you know, maybe there'll be some more younger players, prospects, picks that could go back in that fashion. So, yeah, listen, it's going to be really exciting tomorrow when you guys are on the air following all the action here on CJOB. 
And I'm coming out of it into Thursday and Friday and, of course, next week in free agency. I think that I think tomorrow will just be the beginning of the moves and the interest around the Seattle Kraken. Uh, because that's just the first domino to fall. Oh, absolutely. And then the, the trade freeze is lifted, and the entry draft, there's usually deals anyway, and then free agency next Wednesday. It's going to be a really fun time. Let's focus locally, because there's been, you know, the, the progression of the narrative went from, oh, they're just going to pick Mason Appleton, to are they going to protect Logan Stanley, to, oh, my God, they protected Logan Stanley. Is Dylan DeMello going to go? I personally am on the record saying, I think they'll find a way to keep both DeMello and Stanley and ensure that DeMello is still here because they need right-handed defensemen. They can't just lose one here, I think, without knowing what the cost of a side deal is. What is your gut telling you? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm sort of with you. I mean, this goes back to when we started Winnipeg Sports Talk. I think it was on, like, the 12th show we ever did. I was speaking with Marat, and I had, you know, the week before, I'd sort of said that, listen, Stanley was coming in after a long time out when Nate Bolio got injured. I said, listen, I think I'm just going to say this right now. I think Stanley's going to Wally Pip Bolio. Like when Bolio's ready to return to the lineup, I'm not sure that spot will be there because of how much better he looks game after game and the confidence that he has. And I think that the coaching staff was in fast forward a week later. And we started talking about this, like how in the world can you not protect this guy with what he's signed on so early and how much they've invested in his development. So anyways, it came to fruition. They're obviously high, like many people are, on what Stanley can be and did not want to take the chance of him not being there. And I'm absolutely with you. I mean, listen, that you can make a very strong argument from a Kraken perspective that Mason Appleton is a player that makes more sense for them. I mean, he makes more than $2 million less than Dylan DeMello, and that's key because the ability to weaponize cap space after the expansion draft I think is going to be something we haven't talked a lot about now, but will be a huge part of the Kraken's plan as far as, you know, getting to uh, getting to opening day. Um, but again, I mean, Dylan DeMille is a very established, reliable defenseman, and there is absolutely a need for that. And I'm with you. I mean, if they lose DeMello, that just adds, um, it basically doubles their needs on the blue line going forward. In a best-case scenario situation for the Jets, I mean, as much as I love Mason Appleton, I think he's the guy that goes to Seattle. Um, and listen, I, I think he just gets plugged right into the middle six and could be a player that really grows into a regular for a long time there. Dylan DeMello is a little different. I mean, we basically know what Dylan DeMello is. He's a solid, reliable guy that makes his partners better, um, you know, creates almost no offense, but is a guy that, you know, you need to play with. So, I mean, to me, so much of this comes down to asset management for Ron Francis. I mean, like the guys that we hear and pick tomorrow night, Christian, um, you know, many of them will be cracking, but many of them will be on other rosters. Many of them are being selected only as trade chips for other deals. And, um, you know, it'll be nervous times for Winnipeg Jet fans. Um, and listen, I'm sort of with you on this. I Listen, I know Dayoff made a deal that, you know, a lot of people go, oh, the pick that they moved down from ended up being Nick Suzuki. Well, I mean, you know, if it, I mean, Cody Glass went fifth overall, the draft is an uncertain science. So, I mean, I think you can't blame yourself for a player that was picked in that spot. But at the same time, I mean, it's like a poker game right now. I mean, if the if the Winnipeg Jets are comfortable with losing Mason Appleton and they think that that's the way the crack can go, I mean, I think they sit back and let it happen. But if they have reason to believe that Dylan DeMello is going to be that target, um, you're right. It creates a much bigger problem losing DeMello from the blue line 
than I think it does from the forward core of Appleton's not a part of the Jets going forward. You make a good point too about the weaponizing cap space because especially now in the in this flat cap situation that we're in, it's even oh. more so than Vegas had four years ago. And on the note of the Jets protecting Enstrom, he was a huge part of them making the Western Conference final that year. So immediately it looked like that that trade was worth it. In short term it was, and then in long term you're like, well, was it? But at the time, that absolutely was the the right thing to do. So, I mean, we're, there's so much consternation, in, in the and rightfully so for fans across the league when they see their protection lists, but the mock drafts are almost all pointless because we don't know what protections, like extra protections there are behind the scenes because of the side deals. No, no, you're exactly right. And, and I mean, the other thing is we can talk about the trade the Jets made before, but I mean, there's no guarantee that they were picking Nick Suzuki in that spot. I mean, so listen, it's all just part of fun sports talk conversations that we can have after the fact. But, uh, but I really do think that what we're not talking about right now that we will be talking about almost immediately on Thursday and definitely next week when we get into free agency is the cap issues around the league. And I mean, we can start with the Stanley cup champions. It was well documented that they were over the cap in the playoffs. They won't be able to do that going into the regular season. And that is going to make a, some real tough decisions for Julian Brisebois there. And they're not the only team. And that's why, I mean, Tarasenko is a great example, available in St. Louis. Got a couple more years at $7.5 million. I mean, I'm reading that the Kraken may very well take him, not to have him as player on their team, and then broker a deal where they keep some of the cap allotment for Tarasenko, potentially trade him to another team, and then he ends up where he's actually going to be as part of a three-way deal where potentially 50 or 75% of the salary has been taken and that, of course, will bring back some net assets. So the cap space, you're exactly right. Cap space was a, has always been an issue. But coming out of the pandemic with the flat cap, where so many teams are right now, that to me, I think, is the thing we're not spending enough time talking about, but we will be very soon. Because the value of the ability to take on contracts or dead cap money for Ron Francis, I think, could in some ways supercharge their movement going forward whether it's with prospects players and picks um, as a part of deals that they'll be making uh, almost immediately after they call these names tomorrow night get you out of here on this and it's on the topic of cap space it's the one of the big names that's unprotected it's Carey price i don't think seattle will take him i think it's too expensive and he's not the regular season results haven't been there what do you think will happen for montreal well it's fascinating that he was there i mean we'd heard all about shea weber um and now seeing that Carey Price is on the list. I mean, I think this is basically just a, an admission by Mark Bergevin that, um, you know, as important as Carey Price has been to the Montreal Canadiens, it doesn't really make sense with this flat cap to have, uh, you know, one guy making $10.5 million as great as Price has been. Um, probably harder to do that now after what he did for this club, getting all the way to the Stanley Cup final. But again, these guys are paid the big money to make these tough decisions, and that has been the case. And I'm sort of with you. I mean, if I'm Francis, you certainly have to think about it. I mean, Carey Price is, I mean, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. He's still an incredible goaltender. We just saw him do what he did in the playoffs. But to commit to a player at that age for another five years at over $10 million a season, um, I just don't think that they were expecting it, and I know they're considering it, but I don't think it really fits in with their long-term plans as much of a great face of the franchise that he would be. If, if he was making $7 million or even $8 million, I think it probably is easier to stomach. 
Um, but in the clap world that we're talking about, Carey Price at $10.5 million. Listen, there's a reason why he's available. I think we just can leave it at that. And um, as, as, as attractive as he is to an expansion team for many, many reasons, um, I think the writing's sort of on the wall with the reports that Manitoba's Chris Dreger's on the verge of that three-year contract with the Kraken. I think they'll pick some other younger goaltenders and hope that one or two of them hit. And I don't think that that $10.5 million salary is going to fit in with the uh, with the budget of the Kraken as they uh, as they go into their season number one back in the NHL. Storylines in every market. It's awesome. It's going to be a fun time over the next couple of weeks. Hustler, appreciate your time as always. Thanks for this. Hey, Christian, good chat. I look forward to what you guys have coming up tomorrow night on CJOB. It should be a very interesting night for all NHL fans, but especially ones here in Winnipeg. We have some Manitobans hoping to win some medals, and one near the top of the list of hopefuls is Tyler Mislachuk, triathlete. And for more on how the triathlete community is feeling in Manitoba about his hopes, we are joined by the executive director of triathlon Manitoba, Jared Spire. Jared, how are you doing tonight? Not too bad. Thanks for having me on. So what kind of pride does the triathlon community feel about Tyler going over to Tokyo? Uh, it's incredible. Um, you know, it's it's pretty rare for our province to have athletes in that position. Um, all the more rare for us to have males in this position in endurance sports as well. But uh, Manitoba's got a good history of punching well above our weight for uh for a triathlon in the Olympics. Uh, in Rio, we had two out of the, I think, five who were at the Olympic Games uh, were from Manitoba and from our programs. And Tyler is the one who's heading back there uh, this time around, you know, five years later, not four. But, uh, yeah, he's uh, he's coming there at a level that we've never had an athlete go to the Games before. And he's been on the show multiple times, talked about him winning the test event there. And he's got high expectations for this event, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, obviously winning the test event kind of put him in a new place. And he really went into that event. I'm sure, you know, he's discussed with you guys the the mindset that he had, that just the belief that I believe he believes he can win uh, on that course, on the right day. That's it. So it is really cool to be able to go in there with the sky's the limit. Uh, If he has a good day, there's no reason, nothing can stop him from getting gold. If he's got a good day, Um, you know, having that good a day is something very special, but uh, certainly when you look at the list of metal favorites, it's not a complete list if he's not on it. And for the people out here that may have not seen Tyler run, swim and bike before, Explain what goes into a triathlon event. So these guys will do the triathlon at an event in under two hours uh, for the Olympic distance. It's a 1,500-meter swim, so just about a mile of swimming, and then a 40-kilometer bike ride and a 10K run. Um, the 10K run that Tyler will, will do off the bike is going to be about 30 minutes, uh, which would you know, that's a 30-minute 10K run. It used to be a world-class 10K run not that very long ago at all. Um, so to be able to run that after a swim and a bike, his his ability is just crazy. And uh, one of the other things that he's really good at is managing the heat. So with the team that they've built to support him, 
Uh, and that includes somebody like Matt Sharp, who's basically there to swim with him um, or get out of the water in the lead pack and uh, make sure that Tyler has a good day on the bike. Um, you know, like domestiques they have at the Tour de France, this is kind of the same thing where Matt is a, a big, powerful rider who will be able to help Tyler save energy and be in the race on the uh, on the bike portion so that he can get onto the run in the best position possible. Weather forecast for Tokyo in the low 30s, more humid than it is here for sure. Yeah. What kind of field is he up against in Tokyo? Uh, the Olympics is the biggest thing in triathlon, uh, as it is for so many other sports. So everybody in the world is going to be at their best at the Olympic event. And uh, it's certainly going to be a slightly heavier field than what he faced at the test event. Um, there won't be anybody who, as I say, isn't at their peak for this. But, uh, at, you know, Tyler, Tyler is right there, and he's certainly peaked for this as well. Uh, he won his last World Cup race in Mexico last month, and uh, he just did a tune-up event before hopping on his flight over to Tokyo and looked great in that. So, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be an impressive day. Uh, we also have uh, a Manitoban there as an official, um, so we've got one spectator at least. Um, not that she can cheer, but uh, but yeah, it's such a different day over in Tokyo now with uh, with the pandemic. So it'll be a a different different situation for everybody. But I think everybody's going to handle the uh, the changes as best they can, and uh, it's really going to be an interesting race to watch. You mentioned that Manitoba punch is above its weight. On its surface, it doesn't seem like this province, climate-wise, would lend itself too well to triathlon itself, but you think, I guess you got the summer months to bike and swim and run, right? That's enough time to decide to get into this sport? Yeah, I mean, we've we've always had a really cool... Uh, community here and one of the things that's great about Manitoba is that most of the races that we have are put on by volunteers uh, so there's uh, it, it's, it just lends a, a different vibe that's, that's really welcoming and supportive and I think that's something that, that helps people get through. We've always done a good job with uh, Kids of Steel program and getting people you know, out into the sport at an earlier age and getting introduced to the sport early. And again, that I think just comes down to the community that there are people, you know, parents in different pockets of the province who make sure that there's a Kids of Steel event at their local race so that we can get the next generation going and maybe find someone like a Tyler. So the big question is, when is this Olympic triathlon event and what do you have planned? So it's 6.30 a.m. on Monday morning Tokyo time. Uh, but that works out pretty much perfectly for us because with the time change, that ends up being 4.30 p.m. on Sunday, uh, you know, which is pretty much Super Bowl primetime sports. Yeah. And uh, so it's this Sunday, July 25th at 4.30 p.m. And what we decided to do looking at that was, uh, well, and we've been hoping that we'd get a get a chance to do it, but uh, with the recent changes to public health orders, it's a go. So we're going to invite everybody to come out to Birdtail Park, which is, you know, has long been kind of Manitoba's 
main spot for triathlon, hosting the Pan Am Games and Canada Games and countless other events and such over the years. Come out to Birds Hill Park, swim, bike, and run as you wish during the afternoon, take part in the sport. And then at 4 o'clock, we've got the Folk Fest parking lot, um, and we're renting a massive LED wall television and a few other things that we'll be able to show the broadcast and have people gather to just watch and support. But with the amount of space that's available there, make sure that everybody's, you know, spaced out in a way that, uh, that there's no concerns about uh, social distancing or anything like that, while still having a chance to just connect a little bit as a community to get behind Tyler on what could be one of the biggest moments in Manitoba sports history. Is, so is there a limit to the number of people that can take part in this? Yeah, absolutely. We've got uh, a pre-registration only. So if people wanted to register, they can go to triathlonmanitoba.ca um, or just Google Triathlon Manitoba, and I'm sure it'll get there as well. Uh, in our events, we've got an event set up for the Men's Olympic Triathlon event viewing party, and uh, we're processing it through an online uh, registration platform that we use with the rest of Triathlon Canada. Um, so that allows us to make sure that we can't sell more than 150 tickets so that we'll be in total compliance with the public health orders. And, uh, yeah, anybody who's interested, as I say, can head there uh, to our website, triathlonmanitoba.ca. Uh, you can get more information about the event, and, uh, and then there's a link through to pre-register We've kept the entry cost as low as we can to $5 per person, which basically, as I say, like it just lets us track who's coming. Um, and uh, yeah, the, it's definitely going to be a subsidized event with the cost of the screen and things like that. But, uh, but it just seemed like it was the right thing to do. Absolutely. We'll be cheering them on from wherever we're watching from, whether it's there in our homes across the country. Appreciate your time tonight. And I guess, uh, We'll wish you the best of luck with this event, and hopefully Tyler can bring home a medal. Yeah, thank you. Anybody who's not able to attend or get out will be shown on CBC's uh, Olympic coverage on their website and the CBC Gem app, um, so you can watch the sport uh, of your choosing. And, uh, yeah, we'd love to have as many Vanatobans as possible cheering Tyler on. All right. Thanks, Jared. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this Try to warn you over the day You may not share